Good morning. Let us pray together. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak. For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading today, the scripture reading, is Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus, Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. We've been, uh, for the past few weeks, we've been thinking about beauty as a God. Really, we're thinking about God's kingdom. And what we find, the more we read in the scriptures, especially in the Old and the New Testaments about God's kingdom, is that God's kingdom has surprising values that are very countercultural when we consider the values of the world around us. So for instance, we spent this fall thinking about the value of abundance, and God tells us over and over his kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. And when we consider the world around us, we realize that so often we're tempted to live in a world that operates on the principles of scarcity. So we ask, what does it look like to live abundant lives in a scarce world? This winter, we're thinking about another value of the kingdom of God, which is beauty. That God values and treasures beauty, and one of the One of the cornerstones of beauty is that it's seldom, maybe never, efficient. You can seldom really arrive at beauty in an efficient way. I don't know if you guys have been uh, following the artificial intelligence has had some big kind of milestone moments recently, and there are, if you guys follow this, there are artificial intelligence image generators now. So you can go to this website, and you can type in, uh, show me a Baroque-style painting of a man riding a horse with a cow's head, 
and it'll give you exactly, it'll just generate. Somehow the computer just knows and it creates it. And there's a, there's a great debate going on. Like, is, is, this, is this really art if it's just generated by a computer that did it? Now, certainly the image itself is, is stunning, and we, but is it, is it really art? Is it truly beautiful? That's related to what we're asking. That's very efficient, but is it beautiful? See, our world, the fact that this tool exists tells us that our world really values efficiency and optimization and getting as much as we can out of something. I was just reading another article yesterday, last night. Uh, did you know that Facebook no longer has a customer service phone number? It is impo- You cannot, even if you want to, you cannot call Facebook's customer service because they don't have a call center. Why? Because it's expensive to run a call center. And so if you want to get in touch with Facebook, you have to interact with them through the Facebook website, through their chat or their, you know, whatever, which is ironic because if you're having a, a problem with Facebook, you can't even use the thing that you have to use to, to get in touch with them. We see all of these examples in all of life that we value efficiency, squeezing as much as we can out of something. It's one of the highest values in our culture. God's kingdom, however, is a kingdom which prizes beauty over efficiency. And in fact, the pursuit of beauty, as we see in Scripture, and as we've been, this is our third week, considering this one little event in Jesus' life, shows us that the pursuit of beauty sometimes demands inefficiency to the point that some people see it and call it wasteful. If that grates a little bit about at you, good. That's exactly what God wants the scriptures to do here, is to challenge those cultural notions that we assume and take for granted. We've heard the story, this is the third time that we've considered it. Let me just give you the broad overview. An unnamed woman, we never find out her name, approaches Jesus at a dinner party and pours a whole bottle of perfume over her head. There are a bunch of critics around the table. They're pretty self-righteous. They snarl, it says. It's actually the same word as, as, um, you might say, they snort. It's the same word as what uh, authors in the ancient days used to describe a horse that was either angry or pulling a really heavy load. That's the expression. And they said, you wasted that. They literally used that word. You wasted it. You could have sold that for a year's wages. So let's call this a twenty or $30,000, conservatively, twenty or $30,000 bottle of perfume. You wasted it. You could have sold it for a year's wages and given the proceeds to the poor. Jesus comes to her defense. While they accuse her of wasting, he says what she has done is beautiful. It's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus positively calls anybody or anything beautiful. If God's kingdom is a kingdom that prizes beauty, then what does it look like to insist on living lives of sometimes inefficient, maybe sometimes wasteful beauty in a culture that hates to waste? That hates to waste. Now, I should be clear here, we're not, I'm not saying we pursue inefficiency or waste just for the sake of inefficiency or waste. That's not what we're saying. It's really a question of priority. Efficiency isn't wrong. Utility, like something being useful, is not a problem. But the danger lies when we pursue inefficiency and utility at the expense of beauty. 
So God doesn't say it's wrong to try to work more efficiently or to use resources in a more efficient way, but it is a problem when we get so caught up in squeezing every last drop out of something, this is what God tells us, that we forget or neglect the beauty to which he calls us. In other words, utility isn't a problem, but utility without beauty is. And this is where we find ourselves challenged God sometimes, maybe frequently, calls us to a beauty that to the culture around us looks and maybe is inefficient or useless or, and this is the cardinal sin for New Englanders, wasteful. Waste nothing, right? Now, so far, we've considered this event from the woman's perspective and from Jesus' perspective. And both times, we, we talked about it mostly from a social context. In other words, what's going on with the relationships and the social interactions between the woman and the, the critics at the table and Jesus and the critics and between the woman and Jesus? Um, I've saved the most obvious for last. This morning, we're going to think about maybe the surface-level thing that's going on here. Simply look at the woman's sacrifice. Look at the sacrifice she makes. Tens of thousands of dollars. Now, with one major exception, when we think about sacrifice, like when you think about sacrifice, even whether a sacrifice is worth it to you, you're always running a cost-benefit in your mind, right? You're always running a cost-benefit. So in other words, you're assessing, what is this going to cost? What's the sacrifice? What's the thing I'm, I'm being confronted with giving up? And then what's the benefit of making that sacrifice? And if the benefit is worth more to you than the cost, then you make the sacrifice. So in other words, hardly anybody will make a sacrifice just for the sake of making a sacrifice. You're always thinking about the reward on the far side of the sacrifice. So uh, Tom Brady made a bunch of sacrifices to keep playing football into his mid-40s. And including, apparently, we found out this fall, his marriage. And we don't know that, I I mean, I haven't talked to him recently, so he didn't tell me this. But a lot of the reports I read indicated that his football was one of the reasons for his divorce. At some point, it seems, and again, there's some conjecture here, but it seems, based on what the news reports that I read and that I'm sure you read the same ones, that he was faced with some sort of a choice, stay married or stay in the NFL. And apparently, the benefit of playing football was worth the sacrifice of his marriage. It's a cost-benefit. Now, you and I don't have to worry about playing in the NFL, but we still make cost-benefit sacrifice decisions, right? So you, don't, you will only go on a diet and quit eating Big Macs if the benefit of feeling more healthy outweighs the joy of eating Big Macs, right? And if the joy of eating healthy, or if that's not real to you, then you, you'll keep eating your Big And I'm not knocking Big Macs. I've got, I'm not, I've got McDonald's socks on right now just for this <laughs> illustration. You can see them afterwards. I love, praise God for Big Macs and especially for double cheeseburgers. But you get the idea? Like you'll never quit doing that if there's not something better or at work or in school. Like, you'll only work hard if the benefit of working hard outweighs the cost. So if you're in school, you might could study on a Friday night, or you might could go out with your friends or play video games on a Friday night. Well, you will only give up the joy of hanging out with friends or playing video games 
If the long-term benefit of studying hard and maybe getting good grades or going to a school or is worth more to you than the video games or than the hanging out with friends. This is true for us at work. If you, if you work, if you're employed somewhere, you will only work really hard at your job if the long-term benefit is worth the sacrifice of just kind of taking it easy, quiet, everybody been reading about quiet quitting recently, quiet quitting, whatever you're doing, right? So if the benefit of either making more money or climbing the ladder or taking care of your family and being able to provide for them, if those things outweigh the benefits of not working as hard, then you'll do them. You get the idea, right? You're always, sacrifice, like we think about sacrifice and it always comes with this reward, And we'll only make sacrifices if there is a reward on the far side of it. And if you don't see the reward, if it's not real to you, or if you're not convinced of it, you won't make that sacrifice. Now, we've talked through this event with the woman pouring perfume on Jesus about all of the risks that she took and the sacrifices, especially to her reputation. But consider she sacrificed a five-figure income. I still can't wrap my mind around, around that. Like, that's, is, is there even a bottle of, I, could, I should have Googled it. Is there a bottle of perfume that you could, that's worth twenty or $50,000 or however much a year's wages were back then? Now, her critics were quick to point out, you could have sold that, and this is their humble brag, this is them trying to get on Jesus' good side, and you could have given the money to the poor. And it's a good question about whether they, if they were in the same place, would have sold it and given the money to the poor. Probably not. She could have also sold that bottle of perfume for the exact same amount of money and pocketed it. And who wouldn't be tempted to do that? But she breaks it, She breaks the bottle irreparably and she pours the whole thing on Jesus. That's a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a sacrifice. And the question I hope is burning a hole in your mind right now is why? Why would you do that? If sacrifice is all about risk and reward, about cost and benefit, what is the benefit that would make her willing to pay such a cost? Why is she willing to sacrifice her material possession and all of her reputation, which we talked about in years prior? I think the response that Jesus gives gives us a really keen insight into what's going on here. If you have your Bible or if you have your program, I'm going to read again verses 6 through 8. This is right after all the critics around the table really just level it at her. And Jesus helps us to make sense of her sacrifice. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Don't you love that, by the way, that Jesus just stands up for her? Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. By the way, that's worth underlining. She did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand to prepare prepare for my burial. 
Now, this is one of those record-scratch moments. Wait, 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 what? Who's talking about burial here? We know from context, and this is why the past two times we've considered this event, I've asked the readers to read uh, the first two verses and the last three verses because that helps us to see this is right before Jesus is going to be crucified. Days before Jesus goes to be crucified. And Jesus makes a connection for us that the woman is not just offering some nice gesture. She may or may not even know. She probably doesn't even know the significance of what she's doing. But this isn't just a nice token gesture. Jesus says, she anointed my body for burial. It's safe to say she didn't know she was anointing Jesus' body for burial. But how often does God use the things we do in far more profound ways than we can imagine? And we have to ask ourselves, wait, what does it mean that Jesus was being buried? The woman's sacrifice is actually pointing us, Jesus tells us, to Jesus' sacrifice. And we will never really understand her sacrifice without understanding Jesus' sacrifice. Her sacrifice points towards his, which is at least twofold. But just consider two, two sacrifices that Jesus makes. First, that God would become human. I don't know what it's like to be God. I imagine it's a pretty sweet gig. I imagine it comes with a pretty good benefits package. And Jesus Christ the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven and left all of those benefits of being God, whatever those are, to come here and to feel the pain and the anxiety that every one of us feels every day as well. Who would give that up? Hmm? We'll, know, we'll never know everything that Jesus gave up. We'll never know everything that he sacrificed by just by becoming human. We're not even talking about his death yet. We will, but we're not yet. Just by becoming human, like we, we can't imagine. Paul tries to make sense of it in Philippians 2, and the best he can come up with is he says he emptied himself. He was filled in heaven, and he emptied himself and became human. This is in Philippians 2. Let me actually read it for you. This is Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. That Christ, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or something to be taken advantage of. But he made himself nothing. And another translation is literally, he emptied himself, taking the nature of a servant and made and being made in human likeness and found an appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. First sacrifice, Jesus gave up, not being God because somehow he's still fully God, but gave up that God life to become one of us. And then... The very human life that he had assumed, which was itself a sacrifice, he sacrificed that. Becoming obedient, Paul says, to death, even death on a cross. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 53. He says, he had no beauty that we should look upon him. 
Jesus sacrificed everything. His place in heaven, his reputation, his very beauty, his life. Why? Like, just, just think through this. What's the cost-benefit? Why would he give all of that up? What could possibly be worth it for him? Towards the beginning of the sermon, when we were talking about cost-benefit and how do we weigh whether a sacrifice is worth making, I said there's one major exception. There's only one other instance I can think of where we're willing to sacrifice that somehow transcends the cost-benefit calculations that we make, and that instance is simply love. We will sacrifice incredibly for people whom we love, won't we? You will, I will. You'll sacrifice for your family. You'll give up incredible amounts for your family. There's no cost-benefit. They might not be able to give anything back. You might know that they will never be able to repay you, and yet you just love them, and so of course you'll make that sacrifice. You'll sacrifice for your friends, and make bonkers decisions that have no benefit and that have incredible cost, but they're your friends, and that's what friends do. We see this, I've thought a little bit about this, we see this in the military. I've, I've never served in the military. Some of you have, some of you do right now. We see this in the military, that soldiers will put their lives on the line in part for love of country, Although the few that I've talked to said, that, like, yes, that is there, but maybe even a greater love there is for love of the brother who's on the front line beside them or in the foxhole with them. And they'll make incredible sacrifices. You see, love is the one exception to the utilitarian cost-benefit calculations that we're constantly running in our mind. It's not true that the world never... Of course, people make sacrifices in the world around us all the time. But very often, even our, our calculations about sacrifice adopt this utilitarian cost-benefit. What am I going to get out of this sacrifice, and is it worth it? But Jesus himself teaches us that there is a sacrifice beyond utility and beyond a cost-benefit analysis and beyond a risk-reward assessment and beyond just, am I getting enough bang for my buck, that says, I love you, and I will give everything and anything for the one whom I love. Why would Jesus give up his life? Why would he give up his place in heaven? Why would he submit himself to the shame of the cross? Simply love. That's it. Because he loves you. It's not because of some crass cost benefit. You know how I know? Because John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That Jesus' death when he died covered the world. And you know and I know people who want nothing to do with following Jesus, and yet Jesus died for them too. They're not going to offer anything to him. They don't want anything to do with him, and yet he died for them. That's not cost-benefit. That's love. Do you see? The fact that he would die even for the very people who will reject him tells us that he is a God of love. Don't even sinners and tax collectors love those who love them? But I say to you, 
These are the words of Jesus in Matthew. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It was for love that Jesus gave everything. It was for love that Jesus sacrificed. And it was for love that the woman in this event, and it bothers me that I, I wish we could honor her just by speaking her name and we don't know her name. It was for love, it must be, that she was willing to give so much for Jesus. I can't think of any other explanation which is why Jesus can turn around and say, she has done a beautiful thing for me. I mentioned earlier that last fall we considered a different one of these kingdom values, which was abundance. And we saw that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of scarcity. And what's amazing to me is the more I think about it, the more I realize all of these things are deeply interwoven. You really can't even separate them fully. Let me just make one connection between a kingdom of abundance and a kingdom of beauty for you. This is just starting to occur to me this week, that if God has abundantly given all of himself for us, he didn't give just a little bit because his resources are scarce, but he gave all of himself for us, then he must be calling us to give all of ourselves for him. Or to put it differently, if God has held nothing back, and if he's promised to hold nothing back, then why do we hold back? It's a convicting question for me, too, because my mind goes in all the ways that I want to hold back. Could it be that wherever we find ourselves holding back and saying, God, I know you said, but, and fill in the blank, that that is where we actually maybe don't believe that God has really given all of himself. In just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper, and he says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's amazing that something so ordinary, like, like just bread and wine, or we're Baptists, so bread and juice, just really, really ordinary ingredients. There's nothing special about these. Bread, one of the most basic things you could possibly eat. And by eating this and drinking these very ordinary elements, somehow we point to the most extraordinary love in the universe. A God who would give everything for us, whether or not we respond. And who would invite us in view of his sacrifice for us to be willing to give our whole lives for him. Friends, God has sacrificed most profoundly, most beautifully for us, for you, for me, for the whole world. And now he invites us to join him as we pray together, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, teach us what it means to sacrifice. Not in some vague sense and not in an abstract way and not just because we're supposed to because that's what we feel we're obligated or duty-bound to do, but, but out of love. And help us to see sacrifice not as an act of duty, but as an act of beauty. There are areas in our hearts where we don't want to give to you that we'd rather go our own way. 
Show us those, convict us of them, and gently change our hearts. Help us to see that there is more beauty and abundance to be found in following you than anywhere else. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, along with you, our Father, and the Holy Spirit, to whom be glory forever. Amen.